Now the title is Amazement. It's really going to focus on this series opening moment because some of us may recall that last fall we spoke about the Apostle Paul and his extraordinary uh, moment of conversion. And we spent the, an entire series just talking about radical change. And we talked about what an amazing change it really was, how he went from being someone who was just fiercely opposed to Jesus to being this, just, this radically committed uh, follower of Christ. What we're going to be doing is kind of using this next series in this fall as, a, as a, a way of embarking upon what followed in his life. And so one thing I would encourage you, some of us, we have, you know, an understanding we've read before of the Bible, because we're focusing a lot on the, on the account in the book of Acts. And we're going to look at how the church breaks out of its sort of containment and begins to take the words of Jesus across the sea and into places where it had never gone in the Gentile world. Paul's a big part of that. Um, but, you know, a lot, some of us, we've never, we have no familiarity with that. We've maybe even not ever, even fully read the Bible. One of the things you can do is you can go on our website and you can just revisit the fall series of last year, and it kind of gets you up to speed about for where we're going now. And so what I'm looking at this week as is a kind of a bridge, a bridge for where, to connecting from where we've gone, sort of like looking at his just radical, just conversion, and then, and just where his eyes are open to Jesus to then setting us up for where we're going to go, because we're going to make a journey together. Now, there's a benefit in, in just looking at the scriptures, learning them, reminding ourselves at a historical level, you know, kind of how it all developed, how the church grows. Who is this Paul? And what was so unique about him? And how does he become what is probably now recognized as the, the most famous, impactful follower of Jesus this world has ever known? I mean, we literally are having church, you could, you could argue, because it's connected to his commitment to following Jesus and taking the message into to the Gentile world. Um, the, he was a Jew, Jew but, and a Pharisee of Pharisees, but he was given the call to take this message beyond what was for him, um, you know, his own people. Now, having said that, you know, we're also not just thinking about the value of learning from the scriptures. So there's a value in just having good understanding of the Bible. But for me, and you know this, that one of the real goals that we have together is to get us to not just learn about the scripture and it has value in and of itself and about what happened, but also to have it apply to our lives. So the, the idea is that there are things that we want to begin to challenge ourselves around that affect our, our real world living. So it does not simply become, and I'm not diminishing, diminishing this by saying it, simply become something we do once a week together to learn but it becomes something also that is taken outside of these walls into the workplace, into our, our homes, and in our critical relationships, and certainly inside of our own heart. We begin to let the Lord challenge us to places of growth and transition. And that's what a big part of what we're going to be looking at is about. So I want to look at a passage together. It's a pretty long passage. I'm just going to read through it fairly rapidly. Then we're going to see, see it, sit with it, and then apply it in a certain way to our own life with Christ. And so here we go. It says in Acts 9, this is, you can follow on your, in the Bible, or this is also inside on the inside of the handout, Acts 9, verses 10 through 21. I'm going to try to read this as rapidly as possible. Now there was a believer in Damascus, we're going to talk about him in a moment, named Ananias. The Lord spoke to him in a vision calling, Ananias, yes, Lord, he replied. And the Lord said, go over to Straight Street, to the house of Judas. And when, when you get there, ask for a man from Tarsus, his name is Saul. And he is actually praying to me right now. 
And I've shown him a vision of a man named Ananias coming in and laying hands on him and, and, and so he can see again, praying over him. But Lord, exclaimed Ananias, I've, I've heard many people talk about the terrible things this man has done to the believers in Jerusalem. And he is authorized by the leading priest to arrest everyone who calls upon your name. But the Lord said, go, for Saul is my chosen instrument to take my message to the Gentiles and to kings as well as to the people of Israel. And I will show him how much he must suffer for my name's sake. And so Ananias went and he found Saul and he laid, laid his hands on him and he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road has sent me so that you might regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And instantly something like scales fell from Saul's eyes and he regained his sight and then he, he got up and he was baptized. And afterwards he ate some food and he regained his strength and Saul stayed with the believers in Damascus for a few days and immediately he began preaching about Jesus in the synagogue saying, he is indeed the son of God. And all who heard him were amazed. Isn't this the same man who caused such devastation among Jesus' followers in Jerusalem, they asked? And didn't he come here to arrest them and to take them in chains to the leading priests? Again, everything about this passage speaks of amazement. Everybody's amazed at, in different ways. I was thinking about the first, the first one who's amazed is Ananias. Now, who is Ananias? We don't really know much about him. We know one thing. He was part of a, a community of believers that were living in Damascus. Now, for, just pause for a moment. Think about what we, we're, we're, when we talk about Damascus. Because that was the place where Paul was on his, Saul, Saul, his name later will be changed to Paul. Saul was on his way from Jerusalem to arrest the followers of this false way of Jesus, who he despised, both at a spiritual and intellectual level. And he was on his way, fully authorized legally, to deal with it. And it was on the road to Damascus that he had his astonishing moment that radically alters his life. But in the community in Damascus, there were a group of believers who were following Jesus, who had embraced him as Messiah. Ananias was one of them. Now, just from the, uh, the benefit of the geographical component, because so much of the Bible is rooted in real-world geography. I mean, it's there. And in fact, it's in the news all the time. In fact, we've been so much in the news right now. I mean, if you think about where Damascus is in Syria, how much focus is going on right now in Syria? I mean, if we were just thinking about this from a, just where we are right now, just like Jesus said, he said that in, 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 as the years go by, as the decades and centuries pass, even into the end of the age, he says, as long as this world exists in its present form, this will be the center of the world's attention. And it has proven to be so. In fact, if you think, see where Jerusalem is, that's where Israel is. You go up a little bit on the coast, Lebanon. You cut over in a wedge, a big wedge. That's Syria. That's where Damascus is. Of course, there's Jordan and all this region, Turkey in the north. If you keep going past Jordan, past Syria, you get to Iraq. You get to Iran. You get to Afghanistan. There's Pakistan. It's a whole east opens up. Down south from Jerusalem is what? It's Egypt. There's all kinds of stuff happening right there. This is all the news today. It's everywhere. And it's, all, it's, the, it's the place where the, where the Bible comes alive and it was birthed. And this is where Paul, he's on, I mean, Saul is on his way to Damascus. Ananias is a believer in Damascus. He, if, you know, what's interesting, I'll tell you, he, he is astonished in what has always amused me about Ananias is that what really bothers him is not the fact that he's having a conversation with God. You would think that, wow, I'm, I mean, God's talking to me. What really bothers him is not that. I mean, that's not what it is amazing. What he's really concerned about is that he's going to be asked to go meet this Saul guy. 
And I've always, it's all, I've always had a, a really, I guess for me, it's always been like, no, it's not, Lord, I can't believe this is happening to me. But Lord, are you sure about this? Because I've heard a lot of things about this man. And he's a very scary man. Here's this conversation. I don't know whether, the, we don't know whether the, he was having a vision when he was sleeping, but somewhere, or whether he was awake, but somewhere in this, this, he's having this conversation with God. And it's not the fact that he's having the conversation. It's the fact that he doesn't want to go see Saul, this man that he's afraid of. And he basically says, look, I, I don't want, I hear he does bad. He arrests people who follow you. He arrests people like me. I'm not going to see him. Are you sure that's what I'm supposed to do? And then, of course, what is it? There's the other person that's utterly amazed here is Saul, right? Why is he amazed? Because, you know, for three days, right now, and right now he's, he's, he's been blind for three days, which, by the way, I don't think that was a coincidence. I think the blindness of three days in some ways is representative. It, it, I'm not going to be dogmatic about it, but you can't miss the idea of, of Jesus and then the resurrection, the death and resurrection. And there was something of Paul that dies and something of Paul that lives. And for three days he can't see. Remember how that happened, right? Earlier, we read in the chapter Acts 9, there's this moment where he's going down the road. He's fully convinced, fully, fully empowered. And all of a sudden it says that there's this confrontation with this light that was so intensely bright that he was immediately blinded by it, or at least he couldn't see, um, and it was shocking. And remember, he falls down, and, and the artists have tried to render it, you know, just the idea of him talking to the voice of the light is so gleamingly bright. And he says, who are you? And he was, the, the light itself was intense. What had happened to his eyes was intense. But nothing could compare to what happens when he says, who are you? Instinctively, he knows, who are you, Lord? And then the words that shakes him forever and shakes this world, we could argue, turns it upside down. I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. And then he, he's blinded. He, the Damascus that he went to was on his way to, to, to do his deeds with the believers. Now he's being led because he can't even see. And he's brought to the same place he probably was going to stay, down a street that dissects the middle of Damascus, a street called Straight, to the house of a man named Judas, who was there, no doubt, expecting a dignitary to come who had been given the authority from Jerusalem to do things, a man to be feared, and a man who you wanted to have stay with you. But this man was being, but what happened to him? It was unlike anything you could have imagined. Something happened. He said, this light, he's just, he can't see. And they let him into the room, and he stays there for, what, three days. It's, he, he is in that place. Now, I tried to think. Ananias, the Lord says, you need to go, and, and you need to go to, to, to Saul. He's waiting for you. He's had a vision himself in his prayer of a man named Ananias coming to him. See how God works on both ends? And Saul, we're told, is waiting in that room, and Ananias comes, and I can imagine the door open. I've tried to imagine it in my, again, my mind's eye, him opening the door. The reluctant disciple who initially didn't want to go because he was afraid finds his way to the house. I've, I've come here to see a man named Saul. Is he here? Yes, he's here. He's in a room. I, I have a message for him. I would like to give it to him. He's expecting you. Come, please come in. He opens the door. I imagine him walking up to Saul. And for the first time, he does what he was supposed to do. He says, you know, I've, I've been told to pray for you. And he, I, whether he did it from behind or whether he did it front, I like to think of him putting his hands right there on him. And Saul's sitting there. And he's just, you just get it. Maybe it was directly on his eyes. Maybe he lays his hands on his eyes. 
And he says, brother, brother Saul, brother Saul, what is it? Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road, he has sent me that you might regain your sight. And then he, I imagine him praying. And then from Saul's perspective, the first thing he sees, whether it's those hands or whether it's the face of Ananias, in that moment, they're both amazed. As the first, as he sees Ananias and he sees those hands and he, he sees, it's a new thing, a new beginning. And Ananias is also amazed. And everybody's amazed. And we're just looking at each other. And, and then he's, we're told, he says, whether it was Ananias' encouraging um, word to do this or whether Saul said, I need to do this. But he was baptized. And what did that baptism signify? It's not just a mere ritual. It meant something. It meant he was identifying with the very one that he had hated and despised, going into the waters of baptism like a man who's dying into the tomb, just as Jesus did rising again to new life, taking with him the name of Jesus. Very powerful dynamic. But we're told that wasn't all that happens. Then Saul, no doubt after three days of thinking and praying about this, gets up and he goes to the very places where he had been intending to go in the first place. Now remember, and I asked him to put this up, earlier in the chapter we're told in Acts 9 that when he initially had gone, look what this says, that earlier on Paul, Saul, Paul, had been uttering threats with every breath that he had and he was eager, look at, the, look at what it says, he was going, he was eager to kill the Lord's followers. So he wanted to do, and that he went to the high priest, we're told, he requested letters addressed to the synagogues in Damascus, asking for their cooperation in the arrest of the followers of the way he found there. He wanted to bring them, look at this, both men and women, to Jerusalem in chains. That's, so the very place that he was going originally to ask for their cooperation, to help him find out these, these followers of this false way, now he goes to the place, and they must have been shocked when he all of a sudden, he, this guy who was supposed to be the one who was leading the charge to have it, you know, all these people arrested, now he comes and all of a sudden it says he starts declaring him to be, no, the, that Jesus is the Son of God, the promised one, the Messiah of our people. I am here to tell you that. And they must have been stunned. In fact, it says in that 21st verse, what does it say? It says, and all who heard him were amazed. Is this the same man who caused such devastation? Among Jesus' followers, what's happened? What has happened? Didn't he come here to arrest them and take them in chain? Now he's saying this? Now we know that they, were, that they were very disturbed, very bothered. Eventually, though, what happens is this, and we talked about this before. What happens if you read the Bible in Galatians, you, you, you see that what Paul does is for three years, Saul leaves, essentially, his involvement with people. He pulls out for about a period of three years and goes in the wilderness when he comes back, and he's kind of, let's just say, he's not in, in uh, maybe complete, utter isolation, but he's certainly pulled out of, what we would call, pulled out of a majority of society. He's not interacting. He's just, he's growing, he's learning, he's praying, he's thinking, he's revisiting the scriptures. Remember, he was an expert in the scriptures. Now he's looking at him through an entirely different lens. He's looking at him through the lens of, of Messiah Jesus. And it's changing his entire perspective on life. For three years, he pulls out, then he re-enters. When he re-enters, he goes back to Damascus, the same place that he had left. He doesn't go back to Jerusalem at first. He goes back to Damascus. And then it's, we know that in Damascus, he starts to, to really engage people. 
all the people that, that were the leaders, he begins to engage them. He begins to declare with such an intensity of conviction that Jesus was indeed Messiah, that the same anger that had characterized him prior to his astonishing confrontation with Jesus, now, now they, they decide they're going to have Saul killed. And some of us may recall that what happens is, and again, they, the, the believers hear about the fact that Saul, they've got a plot, they're going to take your life. You walk out the city gates, you're a dead man. We've got to get you out of here somehow, but you can't walk out, you're dead otherwise. And so what, he's, what they do, and this is just, just put this up real quick, remember what they did is that during the night, some of the other believers lowered him in a large basket through the opening in the city wall. That's how he gets out. And where, where does he go to? Well, what does it say? Verse 26, Acts 9, in your last column there, in the handout as well. It says, when Saul arrived in Jerusalem. So go back to the map real quick, you guys. He leaves Damascus, heads back down south to Jerusalem. Now he comes to Jerusalem. Now you got to remember, when he gets to Jerusalem, this is the place where he has had so much success. This is the place where he had been trained as a Pharisee since he was a young man under the great teacher, the greatest teacher of their day, the greatest rabbi of their day, a man named Gamaliel. He had been trained. He had exquisite pedigree. He was a noted up-and-comer. There was no question about that. He had made his mark. He was on his way. He was gifted. He was a, a relatively young man of uncommon intelligence, zealous, meticulously disciplined and committed, not just in a light way to the law, but into a fully absorbed way, into the details of the law. And we also know that he was, if you were his peer, if you were a peer of Saul, he, you would have known that he was not a man to be underestimated. And if you were his enemy you would know he was not a man to be taken lightly, shrewd, calculating, highly organized, with a violent streak, Saul of Tarsus, a man to be reckoned with. That's how he had left Jerusalem. He is coming back a very different man. Perhaps the sights, the sounds, the smells, if you've ever been to Jerusalem, it's weird, even now, 2,000 years, you can still sense the antiquity in it. You can smell it. And something of that moment must have been there for Saul, who had been, this had been his place. These are the people he knew, the places he knew. He walked through them, by them. Perhaps he stopped and pondered for a moment. That was the place where this, where I held the coats when they stoned Stephen to death. How did I laugh so smugly under my breath? with a somewhat concealed glee as the crazy man cried out, Lord Jesus, with his dying breath. And now I've come to follow him myself. Maybe he walked to past that place, walked to the other places. Eventually, it said, we know that what happens is he's trying to find the, the, the church. He's trying to find the believers. He's, you know what it says? But you know what it says? That nobody, look at this, nobody believed him. Look at this. It says in verse 26, go back to it. When he arrives in Jerusalem, he tried to meet with the believers, but they were all afraid of him. They did not believe that he had truly become a believer. So here he is trying to connect, and he can't find anybody to believe him. He wants to talk. He wants to meet. He wants to suspend. But three years later, they're saying, we don't, we don't believe this guy. Not that guy. This is a ruse. This is a trick. He's just trying to expose us. We're not going to connect with this guy. They were already suspicious, very suspicious. He's just trying to entrap us. No way. We're not going. And in fact, it wasn't until a wonderful man, a good man, 
a, a sponsor, a guy named Barnabas, says, you know what? I know, I believe in this Saul. I think you guys need to give him a chance. And look what it says here. It says, then Barnabas brought him, verse 27, to the apostles and told him how the Saul, no, I'm telling you, Saul, he, the, the Lord appeared to him. It was, it was astonishing. On the way to Damascus, he, Barnabas tells him, you know, Saul had, had preached boldly in the name of Jesus in Damascus. And so with, with, because of the uh, trust that they had in Barnabas and his willingness to put himself on the line for Saul, it says that, that the apostles in the church recognized and welcomed him in. And so Saul, Saul, so Saul stayed with the apostles and went all around Jerusalem with them. And he was this time, though, preaching boldly in the name of the Lord. And he debated. He started debating people. Some of the Greek-speaking Jews that they then were told in verse 29 that he, there was an attempt made to murder him. He's barely out of the gate. There's only been two times where he's, they've been trying to kill he's been, uh, His life has been on the line multiple times already. And in fact, it says that when the believers heard about this, they took him down to Caesarea. Okay, last time we'll show the map. Took him down to Caesarea just because I like to do it. All right. And they moved him to Caesarea, put him on a ship and said, you're, you're getting out of here. And they said, you need to go to Caesarea. I've been to Caesarea, beautiful Mediterranean waters. Put him on a ship up there, send him up north. You know where he's heading to Tarsus? You know where Tarsus is? Modern day Turkey. Head him right up the coast. I wondered as Saul got on that ship, if for a moment he pondered the extraordinary change that had happened in his life. What in the world has happened? As he, as Caesarea drifts back into the background and recesses itself over the blue waters of the Mediterranean, I wonder if a part of Saul was saying, that's my past, I'm leaving it behind. And I don't know why God has done this. Why has God called me? Why did he choose to use me? But I know this, he is alive. As real as the sun that is shining on these waters, he is alive and he has called me for a purpose, and I will throw my heart into it as he shows me the way that I'm supposed to go. Now, I said all that. I want to apply it in the few minutes that we have left to all of us. So let me put this up on the board. Again, I want us to think about, not just learn what happened, but I want us to think about this. When we follow Christ, you guys, now listen, it's, listen to me. It's going to alter, number one, it's going to alter and affect the course of our lives. And it just, you know, what it means is we're going to see our world differently. When we truly have an impact with the Lord in our lives, it does change how we live. It starts to affect things. It starts to affect the way we make our decisions. It starts to affect the way we view our world. It starts to affect things like what we see as real meaning in life. It's going to challenge our definition of success. It's going to cause us to rethink what is our supreme purpose as an alive human being with breath in our body. I've walked long enough to know now it's also going to affect how you think about aging and the inevitable decay. And it ultimately even affects, obviously, how you think about death. And what does it mean, then, between now and then, to live a life that is full for God? It starts to affect our conceptions of priorities. And it begins to challenge us around this idea of, of purity and purpose. That all the things that Jesus taught us about what are the greatest thing you can ever do in this life, he said, let me tell you, it's not what, the, what our world tells us. Our world tells us, it's, it's, he said, do not think that a, a man or a woman's life consists in the abundance of the things that they temporarily possess. He didn't say temporarily. He said the things that they possess. It's not true. He said, beware of covetousness. Don't get caught up in things. He says, remember, Jesus, what did Jesus teach us? Love God with all of your heart. He says, you want to be successful? He said, this is what you need to do. 
Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind, with all of your strength. Love your neighbor, people, especially people we're closest to. And build out from there. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love God, love people. So this is different. This is very different. There are times where the Lord is going to, just like with Saul, I mean, what does he experience? He experiences what I call a radical redirect. In his case, it was, I mean, catalytic. I mean, just a remarkable flip. He goes from being this astonishingly angry man who is fiercely opposed to Jesus. And when he meets him and discovers that he's been fighting the wrong way, he flips over and that same amount of energy and intensity is thrown into the cause of Christ and he pours his life out for it. But I was thinking, you know, a lot of us, we're not going to, that's not going to be us. We're not, sometimes we will have what I call radical redirects in our lives. And some of us can mark those moments. Some of us might be heading to them right now. Where the Lord is calling us actually to really surrender our lives to him and quit dabbling. We've, been, we've, we've come far enough. Now's the time to open up our heart. There are times when a lot of times the Lord will be calling us into it. Maybe some of us are going through this right now. We called into seasons of transition. Like, I'm in a, I, like some of us, we get these places. I was talking to somebody, and I said, you know what I think is going on, bro? I said, I think, I think you're, in a, you're in a season of real transition that's, that God is in it and that who you were is not going to be who you are heading into the future. And in some ways, here's the scary, you know what? Transitions are scary places. You know why? Because we have to let go of what it what was, but we're not quite where we are going to be. And in that bracket that we call transition, we oftentimes get to redefine what's important. We begin to grow in those places. I found that two of the places where most real deep spiritual growth takes place is in the middle of adversity if we're not destroyed by it. And our attitude ruined by it. Or two, transition. Both those places actually are opportunities for real depth to occur as God redirects us. Some of us are experiencing redirect right now in our lives. The Lord's trying to move us into a new place, a new season. And the key is going to be, Lord, am I going to submit my story to your larger story or go my own way? Then that, now this, this next thing I'm going to say, it, 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 it may not be easy to swallow, but it's also going to at times involve, stay with me on this, you guys, it may involve sacrifice, and, and, and at times it may even involve sometimes suffering. I look at Paul and I go, man, he, he was being told from the very beginning he was going to suffer, and suffering is scary, and no one wants to do it. And I get it, because we live in America. We don't really suffer that much. There are people right now, other parts of the world, that for them to be a follower of Jesus is extremely dangerous and certainly costly. And they run that risk every day living on the edge. Ours is a different challenge. Some of us, it's going to be, and I've taught it enough to know that there are going to be times where some, sometimes the Lord is going to say, you know what? Because I, I look at Saul and I go, man, he was almost killed twice. He, you know, he's loses, he loses everything. From a natural standpoint, he loses his, his prestige. He loses his peers. They reject him. He cuts himself off from all the things that he's been building in his life. He's just, he gives it all. The career is gone. It's gone. It's like if you had been pursuing something and pouring your heart into it, and the next thing you know, it's gone. If you're going to do this follow Jesus thing, it's going to cost you everything. You ready to sign on? Saul says, yes, all the way. I'm in. It costs him 
It, co- it costs him everything. Then on top of that, he, initially they don't even, the church doesn't receive him. And then on top of that, he's got to meet people all the time that he has he's met. You were the one. You did this to my family. What, why did you do that? He ran into people, some of whom he had killed their friends, others of he had broken up families. He had blood on his hands. I'm not the same man I was. Christ, I did this. I didn't know what I was doing. God. But I am what I am by the grace of God. Through my heart, and this is what, he's dealing with all of this. Some of us, we get called into places, and we're going like, you know, Lord, you're not asking me to suffer, but you are sometimes going to ask us to stand up to, for stuff. I mean, I know sometimes some of us operate in environments where it, there's a lot of misconception about who Jesus is. And sometimes we're really kind of scared to even reveal that we might actually love him and, and are committed to him because we're afraid that it will play into a stereotype that we don't, we're not sure. I can risk that in the climate that, I, that I'm in. And I'm not saying that answer is always easy. I will say this. There are going to be times where the Lord wants us to stand up and to share our love for him unashamed. That people actually need to hear that. There are other times where the Lord is going to actually say when you were working sometimes that, you know what, that's a line you cannot cross. But that might mean I won't get the position. That's a line you cannot cross. There are, there are times where the Lord is going to call us to say, look, what has, this has been the way my family's always operated. This is how I deal with things. And the Lord is going to say, you know what? I'm calling you to grow and to change. And you need to be open to doing something differently than you've been doing it. You need to be open to my redirect. Some of us, it's internal, has to do with habits. Think God's saying, this is a season for you to transition to a new place. The old way of doing it won't get us where we need to go. You're going to have to trust me. And then that, thirdly, is going to, here it is, involve, as it always does, others. Look about Saul. Just stay with me. Saul, when he is, think about how he emerges in his How does he, two, two people are very involved in this opening moment. Who are they? One, uh, a man named Ananias, a very reluctant man, willing to, I, I don't really want to do it, but he's called into this place to help this man Saul. The other one, Barnabas, a sponsor. We need people in our lives. Someone, in, in Ananias' case, he was almost like, um, he was helping frame what Christ had done and wanted to do. And I thought about it. You know, both we need other people. There are none of us are so strong that we don't need. If we're serious about following the Lord, it's going to involve other people. Sometimes people are going to help us decipher what the purpose of God is in our lives at the season of our life that we're in. That's why it's not an isolated thing. Other times there are going to be people like Barnabas who are going to come and they're going to say, you know what, you may not have got it right this time, but I believe in you. And I believe in what Christ is doing in your life. And I want you to believe in yourself the same way that I believe in you. And I'm going to be there with you. See, we need people in our lives like that. I looked at Ananias and I was going, why didn't God, why didn't you just say to, to Saul, hey, in three days, your, your sight comes back. Now you know who I am. But he doesn't do that. He says in three days, I'm sending you a man. And this man's going to touch you. And he's going to put his hands on you. And he's going to pray over you. And when he prays over you and he says these words, Brother, Saul, the same one that appeared to you on the road is now coming. He has come to you. He's going to open your eyes. 
receive his spirit. What, what was that? Why was it important? Because I think, I think Paul was one of those guys that he didn't need people. That would be a strength of his down the road. When he could walk through things, he could get abandoned. It didn't matter. He was, it was a self-contained man at some level. But I also believe that from the outset, it was really important that he realized always in, the, in this way of Christ, you are always connected. And, and you're going to need other people. Even someone like who's a little bit scared to do it. He's coming your way. You're always going to need other people. This is not a solo walk. It won't do it. And sometimes our strengths can actually be our weakness. Because in his case, he was always going to have that temptation of pride. I don't need anybody. But then you do. Because this is bigger than you even. And I think the Lord, what times there are, listen, how can I say it? There are times where we're going to need other people to pray with us, help us understand what is the Lord saying to us about our lives. That's why the value of building quality relationships that share a journey together in Christ is so important. When we talk about small groups all the time, we're going to need sometimes people who can help us interpret our experience in God and then apply it into our lives. We do this together. There are going to be times we're going to need someone, like I said, to, to say, look, God is still with you. You don't give up. Don't quit. You know what? Anybody who does this long enough, you will know that there are times where you feel either because of your own inability or because you're just tired of trying. You want to sometimes give up. We need a people, others, and we need to be that to other people. You know what? And, and the last thing I'll say about it, you know my final reason, what happens? It's always going to be worth it. And I love this. That's why. It's worth it. Jesus said... And we'll leave with this. Everything else is passing away. He taught us. Think of the kingdom of, I tell you, the kingdom of God is like treasure hidden in a field. That when a person realizes where it is, they sell everything they have to purchase that field. I tell you, the kingdom of God is like a pearl of great price that when you find it, you sell everything else you have to obtain it. Paul would later say, as a much older man with a lot of battle wounds, in Philippians 3.8, he would say these words, yes, everything else I tell you, I tell you it now, is worthless compared to the infinite and enduring value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. There were no regrets. This is the way of the Lord. He's calling each one of us to stay with him, live with him, honor him, grow with him, love for him, Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I, I thank you. Uh, I love you. I, I pray, Lord, that as we go our way into our lives and into the things that we're doing, Lord, I, I, just, I just pray that you would continue to remind us that you care about not just our commitment to you when we come to your house. That's a good thing to do, God. But some of us, you're really wanting us to take the step, the next step, that we're not going to get that, that, that you're actually leading us into the season of transition and you're calling us to a point of surrender, Lord, and, or at least to redirect some things in our lives. And for others of us, Lord, it just means being courageous, being a little less ashamed. Honestly, that's what it means. For others of us, it means becoming more vulnerable and more willing to acknowledge the fact that there's some areas in my life I'm not that strong. I need, I need, I need others with me. That I not only need the power of God, but I need the power of God that's mediated through people. And Lord, I also pray that you would help us to be that to other people. I don't think we have to have our act completed together. 
to be a vessel of your life. And I don't mean that in a, in a, in a disconnected way, but I'm just saying Ananias was a fearful man, Lord. We, 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 Lord, we just need to be available. If we will, you're gonna do things. You're gonna touch people through our lives, through our stories, Lord. We're at the end of the day, we're all wounded healers, Lord, in your name. We've been touched by your goodness and your grace. So Lord, I just pray that you let some of these things settle into our heart. Prepare us for a journey we're all gonna make together this fall. I ask for your blessing. Bless our time of giving and bless this closing song as we end our service with it. This is what I ask, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. amen.